Welcome to our Market Narrative series. I'm Julia Newbold, Managing Editor at Connexus Financial. Today we're talking about PGM's latest megatrends publication, The Transformation of Labour Markets. We're at the peak of employment right now, but there are four big forces in play that will mean great changes globally over the next couple of decades. The four main forces at play, according to the PGM research, are demographic change, with most Western countries shrinking their workforces as populations age, and only Asia and the sub-Saharan Africa seeing a reverse in this, labour mismatches in terms of workforce and qualifications, the rise of new technology changing the job landscape, and the slowing of globalisation. Today we have PGM's Jacob Wilhelmus to talk us through this huge macroeconomic theme and explain its implication to investors. Jacob is Director of PGM's Thematic Research Group, responsible for PGM's flagship publication, Megatrends, examining broad secular forces reshaping economies and societies and their implications for investors and their portfolios. Prior to joining PGM, Jacob spent over seven years at the Milken Institute as Director in International Finance and Macroeconomics, and later as Head of the Finance and Technology Program. In these roles, his work focused on topics relating to financial risk, credit markets, and the economies of public and private equity. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jacob. Thank you, Julia. It's great to be back. So let's look at the transformation of the labour market. Jacob, can you talk about why you undertook this research right now? Right now, we are at a turning point, shifting from an era of abundant labor and global supply chains into a new era of labor where working age populations are shrinking in almost every country. And that shift is one of, if not the biggest issue facing economies going forward. To put it into context, of the 30 countries with the highest GDP worldwide, almost 90% will see a decline in their working age population over the next decade. And that has far-reaching macroeconomic implications from increasing inflation pressures to fiscal deficits. And it is key for any investor to not only understand the two forces changing labor markets, that is demographics and labor mismatches, but also how this will impact their portfolio and markets more broadly. So, Jacob, can you provide a little bit more detail around these forces? There are really two parts to it. On the one hand, there are the two forces that I mentioned, demographics and labor mismatches. On the other hand, there are also two trends, namely technology and frank globalization, that are really amplifying the effects. And so first, regarding the two forces, demographics is really concerned with consequences of the declining workforce that results from an aging population and lower fertility rates in most countries. And then labor mismatches is the other force, which describes imbalances between the supply and demand of labor that result from structural issues such as a workforce that does not have the skills or training needed in the fastest growing sectors. Renewables or chip manufacturing are really two prominent examples across the globe. And then on the other hand, when it comes to the two trends that are amplifying these developments, it is for one about technology, which as we know from the past has dramatic effects on labor markets. And here the new developments around generative AI, such as ChatGPT, have really had drastic implications 
given that for the first time our capabilities of replacing tasks is moving from the factory floors to offices and high-rises, meaning really that we can not only replace manual tasks but also cognitive tasks. And then last but not least, fraying globalization has changed the global pattern of trade as companies and governments are more concerned about resilient supply chains and national security. Wow, that's a lot. Is there any sort of timing on this, like when you think these changes will really um, have the most effect? This trend is really playing out over the next five to 10 years and beyond. But we are right now really at the turning point where we move from growing from a growing workforce to declining workforce. And so to find solutions and put solutions into motion, it really comes down to the next two to four years where both governments and firms have to adjust to that new era of labor. Jacob, when we in Western economies look at around us, the ageing of our populations is very clear to us right now. And many of us look at Japan as leading the world in how to deal with this issue successfully and how they've managed the challenge in their own economy. What does your research show um, in regard to Japan? For most countries, the new era of labour will create inflationary pressure. And it is, of course, a complex path from a shrinking workforce to price inflation, but there are two key factors. One is the fact that a decrease in available workers will increase wages, which then in turn will lead to higher price inflation. And second, once people retire, they no longer produce or produce much less and mostly consume goods. So the growth of this segment of society will lead to more consumption, higher fiscal spending and less production. And that brings me to the experience of Japan. And here we really are more concerned with the fact that too many investors are still considering Japan to be an experience to learn from. But Really, the disinflationary scenario of Japan was an outlier uh, because Japan took choices that maximized the disinflationary impact by deciding against immigration and instead started to outsource its production. And it is important to remember that that happened during the height of the era of abundant labor when supply chains became global and China really turned into the factory floor of the world. And so... Looking at the realities of today, countries are facing a very different situation where labor is becoming scarce almost everywhere. And national security has curbed the excitement around global supply chains and just-in-time production. So again, Japan really is a distraction and investors should focus on the inflationary impulses that will impact markets and economies over the next years. So really, if we're looking for an example to follow, there isn't one that's something that we can follow right now. Exactly. And that is the difficulty for investors, but also policymakers. You cannot draw on the experience that Japan had given the different circumstances. Thank you. Now, if we look at the second main point in your research, talking about the labour mismatches, can you explain more about what this means and how it can be addressed in the coming years? Like, what are the industries we're going to need to train the workforce for? It's really important to differentiate between short-term cyclical shortages and mismatches. 
too often the focus is on the temporary shortages and not enough attention is paid to labor mismatches that focus on the more structural imbalances between labor demand and supply. And these mismatches are really happening everywhere. To give you one example, China every year has more STEM graduates than any other country in the world. And that is something that really every country is trying to achieve, right? Like everybody needs more STEM graduates. So you would think that that is a great outcome for China. But their youth unemployment is at over 20%, which is almost four times as high as the regular unemployment and is so bad that they stopped publishing more data recently. So clearly something isn't matching up. And that mismatch is the fact that this highly educated young workforce is faced with an economy that is still driven by manufacturing and jobs that do not require the sophisticated skills these graduates have. And you have, But you have the same in the US, in Australia or Europe, um, where there's a big gap between some of the demands of the job market and the skills offered by the workforce, particularly in those countries I just mentioned, or regions, it is around vocational jobs such as nurses or electricians, which will only be amplified by industrial policies and an increasingly older population. So will the STEM graduates eventually be needed? Is it just a timing issue uh, that it's the wrong timing for them? Or is this just a general mismatch that isn't going to work out? So the structural mismatch is in that you have an imbalance between what is needed in China and what is offered by the workforce. Hopefully that will return to an equilibrium at some point, but really that's the issue of a structural mismatch, that once they have materialized, it is very hard and takes a long time to reverse their negative impact. Thank you. So if we go back to um, the skills that we're currently missing in most economies, the electricians, the plumbers, the nurses, are there solutions to these issues right now and what are we going to do about it? When it comes to potential solutions and options, there are two things that can move the needle in a meaningful way. One is immigration, which is a very loaded topic, but realistically, almost every country will have to figure out how to attract global talent in a world where most countries will be competing for the same talent. That includes visas for skilled labor, such as IT workers in Silicon Valley or nurses and teachers in Australia but also finding ways of integrating the large number of immigrants that are unskilled or need reskilling to participate in the domestic labor market. The other factor are participation rates. And here it is mostly about finding ways and policies that will allow older people, but particularly women, to join the workforce. Because the reality is that while many countries have come a long way, the female participation rate is still too low and finding ways to increase it has the potential to increase economic output significantly. Significantly, In some countries, up to billions of annual GDP. Jacob, are there any countries that stand out as doing this well? One key takeaway from our research is that for investors, it is less about the asset classes and more about country assessment when it comes to labor market. And here it's really important to recognize that 
demographics are not destiny and policy choices really do matter. And therefore, it is critical for investors to assess how countries are adjusting to a decline in the working age population. And for that purpose, we have developed a framework that can function as a starting point by looking at the three key criteria. That is labor supply, labor quality, and policy environment. And when you look at the results, there are clearly some countries that are better positioned than others, such as Canada, Switzerland, or the United Arab Emirates. And um, Can you talk a little bit more about that? When you look at the three factors, there's first, there's labor supply or the current as well as future demographic outlook. Here, the idea is not only to capture how fast a country's population is declining, but also if there are other opportunities and actions to increase labor supply. For example, we talked about female participation rates earlier in our conversation. Um, the second factor is labor quality, which gives investors an overview of the potential mismatches between the required job skills and those offered by the workforce. That is something we are all seeing right now with onshoring and the push to renew renewables and their struggle to find enough workers. And then last but not least, a country's policy environment captures factors that allow a qualified workforce to really create economic growth. And that ranges from educational systems and good institutions all the way to the capability of attracting global talent. Wow, interesting to know. Jacob, how is new technology also feeding into the labour transformation? When you look at technology, this time is different because new technologies around ChatGPT have the potential to replace cognitive tasks. And that really means that AI will allow us to automate the more creative and cognitive tasks from writing summaries to PowerPoint presentations and image or video editing. But that being said, this time is also not that different in the sense that we have seen over the past centuries that every new iteration of technological advancements really follows a similar pattern, where new technologies tend to automate the repetitive tasks of work. Think about agricultural work or manufacturing processes in any factory over the past century. And that in turn then increases productivity, but it also displaces workers in a concentrated matter. And here, agriculture is a great example because early in the 20th century, the sector was responsible for 40% of total employment in the US. But by the end of the century, the number stood at 2%, which is a drastic loss in jobs. Yet, really, the new technologies did not result in elevated unemployment, but rather resulted in the creation of new jobs, skills, and even industries. And that really is the key message here. Yes, technology has a big impact on labor, but in the end, it will change the way we work more than it will replace us. So we're not expecting great unemployment, but what impact does the transition have on the economy as a whole? The new era of labor will mostly lead to inflationary pressure from the decline of the labor force and the increasing share of an older population that produces less and consumes more. But to a large degree, it also depends on the demographic stage of the country. And we can group countries into three broad groups for, for most parts. First, you have advanced economies who are 
furthest into the new era of labor and already struggling with inflationary pressure and going forward will be most concerned with increasing their workforce and reducing mismatches, for example, by targeted immigration policies or reskilling initiatives. The second group are emerging markets across Asia and Latin America, which will see demographic tailwinds turn into a drag on economic growth as their working, work, working age population begins to shrink. And here the decline in the workforce will not only have a direct impact on GDP growth potential, but will also lead to growing fiscal strains via social expenditures on pension and healthcare systems. And then there are the two regions that have the potential to still benefit from a young and growing population, and that are South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. And here the challenge is that demographics alone do not guarantee economic growth, which takes us back to our framework because many of the countries in these two regions lack the high levels of human capital and institutions that are needed to unlock the economic prosperity that can come from a growing workforce. So Jacob, what does all of this mean for investors and how should they take this research and incorporate it? the ideas into their portfolios? The forces reshaping labor markets have far-reaching implications and every investor really should have a playbook on how to operate in this new era and its economic implications, particularly around inflation. How exactly that framework or playbook looks differs from investor to investor, but I think there are three aspects to it. One is don't buy the hype. And when it comes to labor, the big hype is around generative AI. Clearly, the opportunities it offers are plentiful, but it is still too early to say who the winner will be or what the applications will look like. It is in some way very similar to the early days of the internet. Um, if you recall, AOL and Netscape looked like early winners, but those are two names that very few investors want to remember. So for now, the infrastructure that is needed to run those services and underlying models are more attractive than the applications. And to be specific, for investors, that means investments in data centers, both providers and the actual real estate, as well as chip manufacturers. And then the second point is that policy matters. As mentioned earlier, in the new era of labor, it is less about asset classes and more about country assessment. And investors really need to pay attention to the policy choices countries are making to stem the effects of a declining workforce from immigration to participation, as those will directly impact production capacity and economic growth. And then the third aspect is that labor competition requires innovation. Because when you look at sectors, it is not that much about what sector will benefit or which won't from the declining workforce, but how particular companies are responding. Because in the end, companies have two options to raise their output, either increase productivity or increase labor. But we already know that labor is going to be more competitive and more costly going forward, which in turn will cut deep into companies' margins. And so that makes it essential to find new ways to increase labor productivity. And going forward, companies that are able to retain skills 
and adopt tech to increase their workers' productivity will see an even larger increase in their premium compared to peers who are behind. And really, that are the three key takeaways for any investor. But I really believe it is about a holistic assessment of the turning point in global labor markets and working through all of its implications. Thank you so much, Jacob. Another fascinating piece of research that you've done. You've been listening to the Market Narratives podcast with Jacob Wilhelmus of PGM. 